Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Scott Rafferty. And Scott, we saw history. <laughs> Damian Lillard, 71 points. It's kind of wild. Two guys in the same season, 71-point performances. Uh, Dame Lillard kind of one-upped Donovan Mitchell because he didn't need overtime to do it. Were you at all surprised that Dame Lillard was the latest to join the NBA's very elusive 70-point club? Well, to your point, it's it's crazy to think there's been two 70-point games this season. When Donovan Mitchell did it, I didn't think we'd have another 70-point game this season, right. um, even during a time where it felt like everyone was going off for 50. So I was pretty shocked by it. And really, it was just an outrageous performance. You know, you said Donovan Mitchell needed overtime. That was an incredible performance. He also had like, what, 10 or 11 assists in that one. I think I remember his whatever it was hundred plus points that he combined to create was was some of the most was the most or the second most in NBA history. Um, just an absurd performance. But Dame doing it in the limited time that he did, the shots that he hit, the degree of difficulty, pulling up from deep, coming out of pick and rolls. Paul Paul Shangun, um, you know, might have nightmares of what Dame did to him in the pick and roll. But uh, yeah, just an absolutely outrageous performance. Thirteen threes. You know, just uh, there's nothing else to really say about it. I was going to say, you mentioned the degree of difficulty and and the one thing that was just the wildest to me. First of all, he had 41 in the first half. Yeah. And of the, of that 41, the first half, he hit eight threes. And it was just the one where he kind of did the the just cross half court pull up heat check like it was an all-star game. Just cash. Um, and it's just crazy to think because I was actually going to go to sleep and I, and I get a notification on my phone. Damian Lillard has 41 points at the half. I was like, well, I have to see what's going on. And then the Rockets were trapping him every time. And I was like, well, all this for nothing. Woke up, saw that he had 71, uh, reminiscent of when I went to sleep and, and saw Kobe had 81. Um, I was, I thought Dane was going to go for the, the three point record also with 14 in the game. Clay Thompson's record still stands. Um, we surprised that. Eight in the first half, couldn't get the 14. Like, Dane, what are we doing? Like, if, if there's one thing we could criticize him for, you didn't get the three-point record. What are we doing, Dane? <laughs> Yo, you're disappointed in 13 threes. Is that what you're telling me right now? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, no, again, the degree of difficulty on the threes that he hit were outrageous. And he gave it to them every which way. You know, as you said, pulling up from deep, out of pick and rolls. There were some Steph Curry relocation threes. Um, I, I am not mad, and I'm not going to criticize him for not getting the record there. <laughs> Just kidding, Dave. Just kidding. That, that was very impressive. And, and I think if the Rockets hadn't trapped him as hard in the third quarter, he probably would have broken that record. And it's funny. I, I, so I mentioned, you know, Kobe Bryant's 81. And, and first of all, we didn't even think that somebody was going to score 70 twice. And when Dame had 41 at the half, I was thinking maybe he could do it. Maybe he could be the one that, that breaks uh, Kobe's 81. But the record still stands. Um, at this point, do we consider that an unbreakable record? Do, do you think that anybody could break Kobe's record of 81, and then I guess the follow-up to that is, could anybody even get to Wilt's 100? That feels like that's untouchable. But Kobe's 81 kind of feels like we might be we might be maybe getting there based on what we've seen recently. I think Kobe's 81 is attainable. Just when you look at it from the perspective of, again, Dane played, I can't remember what it was, 30-something minutes in this one. He was red hot. That game's closer, plays a few more minutes. They don't trap as aggressively. Could totally happen. Um, in saying that, it sounds like 71 is a lot of points. It sounds relatively wow. close to Wilt's 100. Scoring an additional 30 points on top of that is uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. So I, I could see someone going for, for 81 plus over the, whether it's this season, next season, relatively soon. Just given the way that scoring is in the NBA right now, 
hundred plus is is I, I don't know I don't know if we'll ever see that. Wow! First of all, you got me as soon as this season. Maybe maybe we can see it as soon hey, as this season. I'm not ruling anything out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. At this point, if we've learned anything based on Dame and Donovan Mitchell going for seventy plus, uh, then maybe we don't rule anything out. So now is the time where I put you on the spot. You can envision somebody getting eighty one plus. So the question is, who could do it? Who will be the one? to break Kobe's record and, and, and outdo what Kobe did with 81 points. So so looking at the two performances this year, Dame had 13 threes and 14 mm-hmm. free throws. Donovan Mitchell had seven threes and 20 free throws. Okay. I think just the way the NBA game is played right now, I think that's the combination of success when we're talking about getting to this record or even challenging it. With that in mind, the, the first guy who jumps out to me is Luka Doncic. And part of this is, look, he, he's the, I think he leads the league in, in, in scoring in the first quarter. He does tail off as the game goes on. But just a guy who can create a shot anywhere on the court, can get hot, get to the basket, get to the free throw line. I think that there's a world in which, you know, he erupts for something like 70 plus, 80 plus points in a game. I, I don't know if it's going to happen for him because he's also, I mean, we saw him get a 60 point triple double this season. So he's absolutely capable mm-hmm. of it. Um, but going for 80 plus feels like it would be, we, we, I mean, it's, it's tough for everyone, but he's the first one that comes to mind for me. The next one, which I was kind of surprised by, honestly, um, when I was going through this, that he jumped out to me the way that he did is Jason Tatum. I mean, he's averaging 30 points per game this season. Um, I, I just don't know if I would have naturally gravitated towards him when I first thought of this question. But again, I think that combination of a guy who can get hot, create his own shot. He has that size. He can shoot over plays. He can get to the basket. He's doing that a lot more this season and getting to the free throw line at a career high rate. Um, he, he's probably the second guy that makes sense to me. Um, other than that, I, I think it's just really tough when you look at a guy like Joel Embiid, like a post player. Teams are going to mm-hmm. close off the paint. Giannis, same kind of thing. We've seen him go for 50 multiple times this season. Um, but really, you know, the free throw is not necessarily always there. Um, the three-point shot, like I, I think you just need that perfect recipe to have an explosive game like this. So for me, it was Luka and Tatum were the two that came to mind, really. It's funny, first of all, you mentioned Giannis. And not even to put anybody out, but I do remember years ago, this just shows, it's more of a credit to Giannis than a discredit to our staff. But I remember years ago, we were having a discussion on if we could even envision Giannis scoring 50 points in a game, just because the holes that were kind of in his game at that time, he talked about uh, the free throw not always being there. It just didn't seem like it was something we could do. And then he ended up doing it in an NBA uh, championship clinching game. Uh, so to think about that, I could see him maybe maxing out at maybe 60. I, I wrote down two names uh, who could potentially do it in my eyes. And one is Steph Curry. Um, I don't know if maybe he's too old at this point to do it. And he's had That's what that's why I was thinking. Yeah, he's had his injury issues and everything like that, but I could certainly see a a, a night in which Steph. I think I think I, I know I jokingly kind of criticized Dame, but I do think at some point Steph is going to have a game where he hits sixteen, seventeen, eighteen threes, which is ridiculous to to say out loud, but it's very believable. Another one is a wild card, a guy who scored forty nine points in the game before turning twenty one. That's Anthony Edwards. I, I think I like that. It. I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. You know, in the short term, but I'm thinking. You know, before it's all said and done, Anthony Edwards is a guy who, you know, I could see him hitting 12, 13 threes in a game and just really getting to it, creating a shot, getting to the line, getting kind of in in his mode of the, they can't guard me. What like we like we heard him say against the Clippers last year in the playing tournament. So those are the two names that I that I uh, that I have. But I, I do like the fact that you mentioned uh, Luka Doncic. That be on brand. This is a very Gill stat. But I was looking through guys who uh, scored seventy plus, and you got. David Robinson, David Thompson, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and Damian Lillard. So Luka Doncic could be uh, the guy to do it. And maybe Kevin Durant 
Um, but maybe again, he might be a little bit too old, but he could get hot like that too. So I don't know if there's a trend there, but it, you know, if your name is not Wilt Chamberlain or Kobe Bryant, then you know, if you have a D in your name, then you have a good chance to score seventy plus. Gil, there's no trend there. What are we doing? What are we doing? Uh, I, I respect the <laughs> analytics. Effort, but... uh, analytics. <laughs> um, I, I I love the uh, Anthony Edwards one. Um, that's a great shout out. Just another guy who can get hot. And like you said, he has that mentality where it's like, I, I'm just, I'm going to go for it. Like you can't stop me. He's going to pull up from deep. He's going to get to the basket. I do like that one. Um, Hey, you want to talk about Nikola Jokic? Do we, I, he, he's not aggressive enough to do this, but I, I just think the fact that the guy could score from everywhere on the court. I know I just said, big man, this is really hard for them to do, but he can get to the free throw line. He can knock down some threes. He can score over anyone. Uh, I, I would love to see Jokic just be like, you know what? I'm taking 40 shots tonight. And just seeing what comes of that. I might be the only one who wants to see that, but. It's, hey, you know what? That's all that matters. You want to see this guy and maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll do it for you one day. Just kind of prove a point and, and, and show how much he can score. It is interesting, though, um, over at the Sporting News, we have uh, a running file when every all-star uh, has a new career high. And it's very interesting to see, like, where guys land and certain guys who've never even gotten 50. And I say that like that's a lot, not a lot of points. That's a lot of points at the highest level of basketball. Paul George is a guy who hasn't scored 50 yet, who it would have seemed like he, he would have done that already. And even when you look at like the fact that Steph Curry had 62 in a game, LeBron had 61 in a game, it kind of feels like those guys would have done, would have scored more and not even again to like go at them, but just a credit, a credit to them thinking like, man, like I could see that, that, that them, potentially haven't scored more. I think Carmelo's 62 as well. So thinking about that club of guys who scored 60 plus or whatever, Jason Tatum's in there, Carl Anthony Towns, Kyrie uh, are all guys in that 60 plus. So Durant's never scored 60, right? Right. Durant's never scored 60, which again, that's a lot of points, but thinking about him just being potentially one of the best pure scorers to ever touch a basketball, the fact that he hasn't scored 60 points in the game is just kind of wild. I mean, he might be the best pure scorer in basketball. Yeah. Ever, yeah. right? Like, I, I don't even think it's one of those things, like, we we could discuss him as that. Like, he, I think the discussion <laughs> is, like, he is. Um, right. I think his career has, like, 55 or 57 or something like that. Which, that again, right. We're talking about a lot of points here, but for a guy who is literally unguardable, can shoot over anyone, do anything on a basketball court, um, that always surprises me when I see that. And even to that point, the fact that Michael Jordan's not in the 70-point club, he got right there, 69 points in the game. Just thinking about guys who kind of reached a, a certain plateau but w- wouldn't be able to, weren't able to get over it. Again, talking about a lot of points uh, yep. in the NBA, but still it's just wild to think. So the last thing, you, you said that you think that somebody could do it this year. So I guess it's safe to say that there will be at least one more 60-point score this season. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, you know who else, by the way, came to mind? Uh, just looking through this list, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I feel like it's a sneaky choice here. Um, I love Shea. He's having a breakout season. He's been good for 31 points per game. Um, You know, maybe maybe his game is not conducive to scoring that many points. But if we're looking at this from like a talent perspective and a skill perspective, I feel like we should throw his name in the hat. Yeah, especially like thinking about that, he has like a, a even more solid three point uh, jumper to his game. Gets hot, and it's just yep. kind of the, the recipe for. It. I think ultimately what it comes down to is the formula, and like you said, three pointers, getting to the free throw line, scoring when when the clock's not going, and the game being kind of close. I think is the biggest thing because we don't really talk about that much with Kobe's eighty one. That was a comeback uh, effort for them uh, to to do that. So we'll see if, if that happens. Um, maybe it'll be Anthony Davis now that there is a uh, larger workload on him because LeBron James and the Lakers, speaking of Lakers comeback wins, had a, a pretty impressive comeback win in Dallas on Sunday to kind of serve as a precursor for Dame Lillard's wild night. But 
LeBron James suffers an injury in the process, said he heard something pop in his foot, but played through it, finished the game, hobbled off, wasn't wasn't sure like what the deal was. Was it a foot injury? He had been dealing with foot soreness all year. And then on Monday night, February 27th, Shams Rania comes out and says that it's feared that it's a pretty serious injury for LeBron. He's going to be out for some time. Obviously, it means that the Lakers are going to take a step back because of how well LeBron is playing this season. But um, I guess the question is, like, the level of concern based on how long this setback holds LeBron out. Um, if it's three weeks, how concerned are you? If it's six weeks, how concerned are you? Um, and, and are you worried that it might be even more serious um, that they've let on? I mean, the, it, it's super concerning, right? Because we, we've mm-hmm. talked about it. There's 20-something games left this season. The Lakers right now are half a game outside of the play-in tournament. It, they made moves at the trade deadline to build a better team specifically around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I think we've seen it since then. Like, these guys have fit in really well. Like, Vanderbilt has been awesome defensively for them and doing yes. all the little things offensively in terms of, like, attacking the glass. D'Angelo Russell is injured right now, but he's had his moments. Malik Beasley is the type of shooter that you want next to them. Like, these guys make a lot more sense. But they're almost in that mode where, like, they kind of, like, every game matters for them, right? LeBron even said it going into All-Star Weekend. Didn't he say it was, like, these are the most twenty most important 25 games of his career, which, all right, LeBron. But <laughs> at the same time, like, it, it, it is a super important stretch for them if they are going to make the play-in tournament. So this is really concerning. And I think when you look at it from the perspective of not only is LeBron, it sounds like, likely to miss a few weeks here, but D'Angelo Russell, as I just said, coming back from an injury we don't exactly know when he's going to be back maybe it's tonight when they play against the grizzlies maybe it's a couple games down the road but he's kind of coming back from an injury and also anthony davis right like he gets injured every single season he's played at an mvp level at certain points this season but really like this is going to be on him now and can he kind of step his game back up to that level where he was playing at an mvp kind of performance um, but also not get injured in the process. Like, is he capable of kind of taking on this big of a workload over these final 20 games? So um, definitely concerning whether LeBron misses with two weeks or four weeks. And it is kind of funny because uh, our Mike Adams, I think, jokingly said on Slack, like, you know who they could do with right now? Russell Westbrook. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd quite go there, uh, but it is funny to think, like, that they, they could do with kind of another guy who can kind of take on more of the offensive load while he's out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, we talked about it even with LeBron in the lineup, given where they were in the standings. They had just just a minute mar- margin of error. Now LeBron is out of the lineup for we don't know how long, um, and there is zero margin of error. There's zero room for anybody else to miss time with injury. Um, they have to execute well, and, and I think that they're in a okay position. If they can really lean on Anthony Davis, we can see the Anthony Davis that we saw um, in mid-November before he got injured, as you mentioned, and, and missed some significant time with it. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, the, the game is more fun when LeBron is playing at a, at a high level. And I think the other thing about that is it's kind of happened uh, each year now, the past couple of years. We have to remind ourselves, even though he doesn't look 38 when he's running up down the court and, and finishing above the rim, he is 38 years old, and and I, and I and I worry that you know this string of injuries e- each year is kind of just a product of the fact that LeBron has such a heavy workload um, in his 20th season, and I wonder if at all this maybe uh, causes for a change in strategy with handling LeBron and playing LeBron moving forward. Just because it's been every year now, aside from the year in which they had three months off before they went to the bubble that LeBron has missed extended time with soft tissue injuries seems 
things popping, things twisting, pulling, growing, straining hamstrings. It's father time, right? But on the flip side, like, what are you supposed to do? Because I, I think yeah. the yeah. kind of the recipe here, right, when Anthony Davis first joined the team was LeBron was still whatever it was. In his prime, tail end of his prime, was capable yeah. of playing at the level for a couple of years. And then I think we all thought there was going to be a passing of the torch moment to Anthony Davis. It looked like that was kind of happening at the start of this season where Anthony Davis was going to be kind of the number one option on this team and take over that that spotlight from LeBron James. But then he gets injured and then LeBron has to step up. And then he's playing so well, pouring in 30 points per game every single night that I feel like it's just natural that kind of continues. So I think that's the tricky part that where the Lakers are in, where it's like they can't really afford to, you know, take some of that workload off of him. Um, because they just still are so reliant on him. So it's it's a really tough balance. I think the answer would be like, yes, they should, um, but I just don't know if they can. They, they can. Yeah, I think if you're the Lakers, you just have to to focus on the big picture now. Um, obviously, if LeBron is back at the end of the season, great. Um, try to make a run in the playoffs, see what you can do, see what kind of noise you can make. But ultimately, um, you know, as you as you see, you have two more years. You have to probably try and run it back with this core, which has shown some promise, adjust some things, and just ensure that they're ready to go when the postseason comes around. Because I do think that they do have a chance uh, to make some noise moving forward. Uh, but ultimately, it all just kind of depends on the severity uh, of of the injury that LeBron is dealing with. And like you said, if Anthony Davis can play at an MVP level like he did earlier in the year. Now, he probably won't be in MVP conversations if he plays at an MVP level, but the MVP conversation is going to be pretty interesting. Maybe Anthony Davis could fall in the tail and maybe get like seventh or eighth place consideration. But when you talk about the top five, you talked about it a little bit before. Nikola Jokic is a guy who you maybe want to see uh, score 80 in a game or at least take 40 shots in a game. Um it kind of feels like it's it's starting to get in runaway territory for Jokic uh, to win a third straight MVP, which we talked about this earlier in the year, and it seemed kind of wild. It seemed like there was going to be so much working against him, but it kind of feels like all those things that were, quote-unquote, working against Jokic have kind of sorted themselves out, and he's been an undeniable MVP candidate. So, you know, working on an MVP ladder over at the Sporting News, so by the time you hear this, it might be published and on the site, but as we talk through it, is it kind of just Jokic and everyone else? Are there tiers behind Jokic? How do we work through the tiers behind Jokic? Do we start with Giannis and Joel Embiid? Like, what do you think? I, I think for me, Jokic is the clear front runner right now. I, I think he's okay. a back-to-back MVP. He's having the best season of his career. He's averaging a triple-double. He's shooting incredibly efficiently from the field. Um, and he has the Nuggets with the number one seed in the Western Conference. I think that's just a really hard MVP case to beat. In saying that, I, I do think there's a tier one with kind of him, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then in my mind, there's a second tier with probably Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum. And then players fall in after that. Um, okay. so I, I do think we're looking at the three finalists here in Jokic, um, Giannis, and Embiid. And I, I honestly, I feel like you're, you, you are kind of splitting hairs. Like, I, I think Jokic's case is the most ironclad, to be perfectly honest. In saying that, I, I think you poll 100 people right now, 95 of them probably say that Giannis is the best player in the NBA, just how dominant he is offensively and also what he does defensively. I mean, he's an all-defensive kind of guy, defensive player of the year, candidate every single year, can guard every single position, protect the rim. Um, what he's able to do on both ends of the court is just outrageous. And by the way, the Bucks right now have the best record in the Eastern Conference. He actually has the best winning percentage when he plays out of all these MVP candidates and you know, he has a good team around him. Like Drew Holiday was an all-star this season. 
Chris Middleton has dealt with injury, but he's a multi-time all-star. Brooke Lopez is absolutely awesome defensively um, and what he can do offensively, space in the floor and everything like that. So I think he has a really strong case. And Joel Embiid too. Look, this is a guy who has been, what, runner-up the last couple of years. He's having another outstanding season, averaging over 30 points per game. Defensively, he's a far superior defender than Jokic. He's more at the level of Giannis, where, you know, an all-defensive caliber kind of guy. You saw that block he had on John Morant the other night. What he's able to do to protect the rim, he can also step out a little bit when needed. And then he's just so dominant offensively. And also, by the way, the Sixers, I don't know if they're going to get that number one seed in the Eastern Conference, but they are in that mix. And he has a great team around him. Like James Harden should have been an all-star this season. But, you know, it all starts with Embiid. So I, I think each one of them, honestly, you, you can't really go wrong here. But um, I love Jokic, and I, I think he does have a really hard case to beat. It's interesting because kind of what gives me pause, I feel like we were having this discussion earlier in the year and, and we talked about, you know, the the most games a player could miss and we could still, you know, think that they're worthy of, of the MVP, this, the MVP consideration. And as we record right now, as we enter the, the final quarter of the NBA season, both Giannis and Joel Embiid have missed 12 games apiece. I would assume that not even saying they're going to get saying they're going to get injured or anything like that, but just thinking like there's probably going to be some rest day scheduled for them. They're probably going to play a maximum of 68, 60, 65, between 65 and 68 games. If all goes accordingly with their health, Jokic has missed eight games, which isn't that much fewer. So it's interesting to see maybe we're seeing a shift in in a trend of like, you know, guys can play X amount of games um, or miss X amount of games and, and still win the MVP trophy. I think the other part about it with Jokic that's interesting to me is thinking about like the, the 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 true definition of most valuable player. I know we talk about it a lot and a lot of times um, there's criticism given to people who really vote for the best player on the best team, which we've seen in years past. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this time around, like Jokic, I, I think it's hard to argue that there's any player that's more valuable to their team's success. I know you talked about Giannis's win percentage with the Bucks, but we've seen them go on this 14-game win streak and have different guys take turns stepping up. I think that it's a culture that they have. It's a, a playing style thing. I think that they're good vibes around the team. Uh, you know, all that has to kind of kind of work in in your favor, and even luck uh, works in your favor too when you win. Anytime you win more than eight games in a row, honestly, in the NBA, probably even more than five games in a row. Um, so, so I wonder if you, if you, you know, you mentioned, and this is not a knock on the guys around Jokic. Jamal Murray is getting back to pre ACL tear form. He's looking great. Aaron Gordon uh, was a borderline All Star this year. But how much credit do you give Jokic to lifting the play of those around him versus the other candidates in that top tier? Uh, as far as lifting the play of a James Harden or lifting the play of a Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, who has struggled this year. I think to me, Jokic at this point is quite clearly the best like regular season player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's a different discussion if we're talking playoffs. Like I think that's where Giannis being the best player in the league comes into play. But I just think what Jokic is able to do offensively, like he has no holes in his game and he mm-hmm. just makes everyone around him better. Like we talked about it for years with Rudy Gobert, where it felt like you could put him on any team in the league and he's going to lift them to a top at least 10 level defensively, mm-hmm. maybe even top five. I think that's where Jokic is at, where it's like you can almost put any team around him. He's going to figure out a way to make it work to the point where you're probably going to be like a top 10 offense. I, I just think what he's able to get, he gets the most out of everyone around him. In saying that, like Giannis has grown tremendously as a playmaker. That might be the biggest part of his game that has improved over the last few years. He's just obviously not at the same level as Jokic. 
in that regard. And the same thing with Embiid. Like, he's he's improved as a passer. Um, his ability to read kind of when he gets double teamed in the post. That stuff obviously matters. But Jokic is just in a different stratosphere, kind of the way that he commands the game. Um, so I, I just think he does absolutely make everyone better around him. I, I think going back to the, like, I want to see him take 40 shots in a game kind of thing. There are nights where it feels like he could be much more aggressive offensively. And I think there's going to be times in the playoffs where they're going to need him to be more aggressive. Um, I think some of that's just kind of going the rhythm and flow of the, you know, regular season and making sure that getting everyone involved, especially like you said, Jamal Murray's coming back from an injury, Michael Porter Jr., same thing. He missed time last year. Mm-hmm. Getting all those guys yep. involved, getting their touches, getting their confidence up so they can make a deep run. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's just really Jokic's case is just going to be really hard to beat, um, just because of the way that he impacts winning and the the level that he's lifted this Nuggets team to. So, so to put a bow on this conversation, it kind of feels like it's not a runaway, but it's a clear cut favorite right now. Though the other guys are are still within reach when you talk about Embiid yep. uh, and Giannis. And then I, I guess the, the question is, is there something that they could potentially do to make that leap? And also, you know, you talk about Jason Tatum, who has played in the most games or missed the fewest games of, of this entire bunch that we mentioned. Luke has also miss, missed 10 games this season as well, if, if my if my if my pretty simple math is correct. So is there anything that the tier two guys could do to potentially make a run? Maybe just to, to being an MVP finals or, or in the top three uh, that gets mentioned. Or do you think that that's really set in stone and it's just a matter of sorting out the, the top three? I think it's definitely still in play. I think the games played is going to matter. I think to your point from earlier, the fact that so many players do rest now, I think the kind of that number has lowered compared to what it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, if Jokic ends up playing 72 games and Giannis and Embiid, you know, play 60 or something, like that, that is going to factor into this. I also think the interesting thing about the MVP conversation last year, because what Jokic won it as a number six seed, was that the Bucks and the Sixers weren't like, I mean, they, they finished third and fourth respectively in the Eastern Conference, but they weren't the first seed, right? And I think if you're Giannis and Embiid getting that number one seed in the Eastern Conference, which would obviously be huge for them in the playoffs, I think that's just another argument in their favor of, you know, kind of going that head-to-head with Jokic because it looks like the Nuggets are going to get the number one seed in the Western Conference. So if they can match that or even finish with a better winning percentage, I think all that's going to play into it. Um you know what's interesting, by the way? So Basketball Reference does an MVP award tracker, and they right. rank candidates based on a model that's built using previous voting results. No surprise here, Jokic is number one for all the, I think, you know, all the reasons that we just talked about. Then they have Joel Embiid slightly ahead of Giannis, Luca four. Can you guess who number five is? I wish I hadn't opened it after you said that because <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that when you said that I looked at to be able to follow along what you're saying. Um, spoiler, everybody out there, it's James Harden. It is James I, so Harden. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. And, and I guess that, I, and, I, and I don't know if this is the question you're going to ask, but like, I guess you have to take that into account, right? Well, first of all, that makes him definitely an all-star snub, but does that like, does that hurt the case? Like, does that like say, oh, there's another guy who's doing MVP worthy things on your team? Like, they maybe cannibalize each other's uh, MVP. Well, I mean, not that J- James Harden's an MVP discussions, but like, you have a guy that's that valuable on your team. And I'll, uh, but that goes to the other question I asked there. Like, how much do you think that Joel Embiid is, you know, to, to owed for Harden's success this season? I, I mean, I don't think Harden really deserves to be kind of in this level, right? Like, I, I don't think he has yeah. a better MVP case than Jason Tatum. I'm sure there's just something yeah. in this algorithm that kind of spits out that right. James Harden is more valuable than he probably is. In saying that, he's been awesome this season. I think he should have been an all-star. Yeah. Um, what he's able to do as a playmaker, averaging nearly 11 assists per game, 
giving them another scoring punch next to, to, to Joel Embiid. I mean, look, the reality is, I think if the Sixers are going to make noise in the playoffs, it's going to be because Joel Embiid, touch wood, doesn't get injured again, right? Because he yeah. seems to get all these unfortunate injuries, but he's going to lead them. But in second, secondary to that, like James Harden needs to have a better postseason run than he's had, you know, certainly over the last few years, but one of the best postseason runs in his career because he kind of at least never play. It feels like he never plays to the level that he does in the regular season at the very least or doesn't yeah. elevate his level. So, um, I, I wouldn't punish Joel Embiid for that in terms of like the MVP case because again, like the amount of times that Drew Holiday has come up huge for the Bucks this season, that's like true. that's you know you're not going to punish Giannis for that. I feel like um, even though James Harden is probably the bigger name there, um, but yeah, that, I mean that probably helps Jokic though, right? Like he he hasn't had another All Star teammate right over this three year right. stretch. Um, you said it. Um, Aaron Gordon had a case this year. But he's very clearly like the best player and the only kind of, I guess, star on that team. I think Jamal Murray probably would have made an all-star at this point if he didn't get injured. But, you know, that's a different conversation. Yeah. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's that's the thing that, that like, maybe it's because those guys aren't at an all-star level. Maybe it's part of just the narrative. But like you mentioned, we talk about, the you know, when Drew Holiday steps up and, and, and is big. We talk about when James Harden steps up. Um, and Tyrese Maxey, even. We talk about when those guys yep. step up and make big plays. But... I think that sometimes maybe we underrate a little bit uh, the other guys in Denver, and I think that the playoffs will be an opportunity for them uh, to to prove themselves. And I know you've expressed that you do trust them in the postseason, so we'll see. I don't want to hold – I'm right, right? You, you expressed that, right? You trust them in this postseason? Yeah, yeah, I, I trust them. I think Jokic has proven that he can you know, elevate his game in the playoffs. He's had some monster playoff runs in the past. Mm-hmm. I think people probably aren't – quite aware of that just because of the amount of tension that Denver gets. Um, Jamal Murray in that bubble was absolutely outrageous. had a historic run. Um, He's just gotten better as the season's gone on, which I think obviously is a huge sign, a great sign for the Nuggets because they're going to need kind of that secondary consistent scorer to make a deep run. I think it can't just all be Jokic. Um, But yeah, I I think Aaron Gordon fills a lot of holes for them. Michael Porter Jr. feels like he's, he's near the top of the list of like anytime he shoots, I think it's going in. Um, so yeah, I, I just I trust the two guys at the top of this team. I think they have the good amount of experience. But again, like the discussion that we had a few weeks ago at this point, the defense is the big one for me, right? Like, can you go? Can you win three rounds, four rounds in the playoffs um, with a defense built around Nikola Jokic, who I think has developed into a a solid defender? He's really smart. He has good hands. He obviously has size around the basket. But he's a limited defender. Um, and when you're playing against a team like the Grizzlies, you're playing the Warriors the next round, whatever it is, can you adjust your defense enough to kind of make that deep run? That, that's the big question for me. But that's, that's also a playoff thing, right? Like, I think this is where it gets difficult with the MVP because I, I think people are kind of projecting a little bit where it's like, okay, if we give Jokic the MVP award this year, but they lose in the second round, like that's going to look bad. But I know that's going to be part of the conversation if it happens. But it is a regular season award, right? Right. Um, and again, kind of tie bow on it. I, I do think he's probably the best or most valuable regular season player um, in the league at this point. Again, playoffs is a different discussion, but I think Jokic has kind of proven that. Scott, that was a, that was a, a outlet pass with Jokic like precision. You mentioned the Grizzlies; <laughs> they actually play uh, the Grizzlies at home this weekend, and also we have the MVP candidates going head to head. The Sixers are in Milwaukee. Hopefully Giannis is back in the lineup. He missed their win over the Phoenix 
Suns with a quad injury, but it seemed like that might have just been a precaution. So that's going to be a must-see game as well. As we close up here, Scott, I don't know if you have a quick shout-out, anything you've seen around the league, anything you have your eye on around the league uh, that we maybe can revisit next week. You know what? I feel like the Bucks are getting all the attention, and rightly so, in the Eastern Conference. They've won 14 games in a row. That is mm-hmm. uh, that is no joke. But he, uh, I feel I feel like the Knicks have quietly won six games in a row. Um, they've oh. had some good wins lately. They just beat the Celtics, a game without Jalen Brown. Um, but they've, they've been playing really good basketball lately. Josh Hart has fit in perfectly for what they need, uh, who they acquired at the trade deadline. Julius Randle, look, I, I'm not the biggest Randle guy, but he's you know he's having a great year. And I, I just love what Jalen Brunson's been able to do for them at that point guard position. Jalen Brunson's been awesome. This is the, the the greatest moment when you and I have the exact same shout out written down the Knicks <laughs> against winner, winners of six in a row. Um, you know, I, I think that just because they're the Knicks, we kind of write them off and, and don't really think much of what they have going on. I think that they are they surged past being average. They're above average team. Like you said, Josh Hart uh, has been been a uh, a great addition to them. The six-game win streak has coincided with them getting him at the trade deadline. He tweeted about it and said everybody's locked in, and it's not just him. But he deserves a little bit of credit. So shout out to Josh Hart and the Knicks. It'll be interesting to see where they land in the East playoff picture. Um, as If the season ended today, they will play the, the Cavs. When you had the Donovan Mitchell sub subplot there, you got a pretty interesting uh, must-see TV playoff series. So we'll see how that shapes up. Like I said, maybe we'll revisit this next week, see if that streak is still going for the Knicks or the Bucks. Once again, thanks for tuning in to NBA Sound System. Make sure to subscribe and get these wherever you get your podcasts from. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Gil McGregor reminding you to tune in to NBA Sound System. We will catch you again this time next week. <laughs>